So two weeks ago, I get a text message from some very dear friends of mine and said, hey, I know um, we normally come up every summer and we, you know, took this new church, but we still want to come up and be with y'all because we love y'all so much. Yeah, you didn't say it like that, but I, I, I got what you were saying. I could, I could hear it in the text. But this morning, I think it's, I mean, it might as well happen because it's happened with everything else. Our, every one of our missionaries have come this year, and it's amazing. And this morning is no different because Donna Bennett, who is Josh Bennett's wife, who serves as the pastor of River Bend, Riverside Baptist Church down in Colbert, Georgia, um, served as one of our missionaries for many years at Life Church and New York and um, Elizabethtown, New York. Even though they have stepped away from Life Church and started a new chapter in their life, it doesn't mean that they completely walked away from Life Church. Matter of fact, I think it was three weeks ago, y'all spent a week up there with them at Life Church, and Donna graciously decided that she was going to do the whole service this morning. No, she didn't. <laughs> she asked me a little ago, she said, do I got to hold a microphone? I said, if you want everybody to hear you, yes, ma'am, you do. But I, she wants to give us a short update. But while she's making her way up, they put together a short video for us of some things that are taking place in Life Church right now. So if you will, show that video as Donna makes her way up. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone,
It's true. I must really love you guys if I'm up here talking because I'm not the public speaker in our family. Um, We moved back to Georgia in February, um, right around Valentine's Day. We're about two hours away. Easy day trip for you guys to come visit us. We're near Athens for all the Georgia fans. We are Alabama fans. The church is still praying over that. Um, (laughs) But about December of 2022, I got some scary news from my job, and it had to do with living in New York. And so we started praying about it, and we were not sure what was going to happen. So I started looking for new jobs in New York because that would allow us to stay, and he started looking for jobs outside of the state of New York, and that would allow me to keep my job. We, we really were like, we don't know what God's doing. We don't know how this is going to work out. Um, but it was really hard because the timing, like we had just figured out how to live there, you know? I mean, we've, we understood snow now. We understood the people group that we were with because they're different. Um, and then for about six months, absolutely nothing happened. And when we found out we had covid a pipe had burst in the basement. Um, it was really not a wonderful time. It was a hard time. So we were praying, talking to the girls, trying to give them a heads up, um, and we just weren't hearing a lot. So that was, um, that was a hard season of waiting. And then God began to make it clear um, that we were leaving. And that was just really hard. I know the girls struggled. Our girls just finished um, sixth and eighth grade. So I don't know if you've raised middle school girls. I don't recommend moving across the country in the middle of the school year, which is exactly what we did to them. Um, and so it was just really hard. But as we started telling people in New York what was going on, people started stepping up in Life Church in ways they would not have done if we were still there. Um, and... There were a lot of community relationships, and in our leaving, we got to hear, like, I know Josh has shared pictures, I don't know if any made it this year, of him mountain biking. He had a mountain biking group, and these were community members, they were unchurched, and they had a goodbye dinner for him, and some of them cried, and Josh was like, I had no idea, I had no idea you know, that I had had that impact on them. Um, so it was a sweet, bittersweet time as we left, uh, but the day Josh announced we were leaving, um, Another guy named Josh with a beard um, said he felt called to ministry, so he's he's been preaching a little bit. Um, they actually have a candidate for a pastor already. Um, I'm not sure where they're at in the steps with that, but so Life Church is still going to to be ministering to the people of Elizabethtown, New York. Um, Ebenezer and and they're still in Blairsville, aren't they? Yeah. Tommy's taking a team up. Mara's gonna go on her first mission trip without her family. Um, but they're going to be up there for E-Town Day again. We've already been up once since we moved, so we really hope to carry on that relationship. They um, will still love visits, mission teams, giving. They have, um, I think it's on their website now, you can give to support them. Um, I think the new pastor will have to be bivocational. So they've got a lot of cool stuff going on. It's kind of hard to watch it from afar. We, um, we weren't out of the country, but we were so close to being out of the country it was really different up there. We kind of had to reacclimate to the south um, and your humidity. Um, but we do enjoy it. We're closer to family now, but part of our hearts will always be in the Adirondacks. So we hope to take part of Riverside up there later. Um, so just really, they'll have E-Town Day. It's the third Saturday in July. So it's one of their biggest outreaches. Um, so be praying for that. Be praying for Mara as she goes. Um, the verse that we had as a family, or it was really for me when we moved, was Joshua 1.9, the first time, like from Georgia to New York. Um, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
And when we moved there, I know you've heard Josh say it every summer, we had nowhere to live, it didn't make sense, it was really hard. And I kind of felt the same way about coming back here. <laughs> it didn't make sense. The housing market, if anybody's had to buy a house recently, um, terrible. And so it just didn't make sense. Like, why are we doing this now? Well, you know, we just got kind of comfortable here. Um, so it's been hard. And, and God's word just reminded me, like, the things he asks us to do sometimes don't make sense. To the world and sometimes they're hard but he's with us in it he cares for us we're his children and he tells us in his word not to be frightened not to be dismayed um, he's with you wherever you go whether that's in the Adirondacks in the North Georgia mountains which will always feel like home to us um, and for those of you that weren't with us on this journey Harmony Grove made such a huge difference people still talk about the greenhouse getting painted um, they called it the greenhouse after it got painted. Um, and just your support, your encouragement coming here every summer. I mean, that's part of why the girls and I came up for like a mini version of our our trip to the North Georgia Mountains because it became such a part of our summers. Um, but your church was a huge part of the reason we stayed there as long as we did and we were successful. Um, and we shared with Life Church when we left. We said those churches and um, prayer partners that you have in Georgia are still there. So they know that and they're surprised by that. Um, I think they all thought, and we're like, no, they care about you guys. It wasn't about us. So keep Life Church and E Town in your prayers, but you will never know how much your support, your care, your prayers, your generosity meant to us during the past seven years. Thank you. I never will forget the day that Josh called me and told me he was moving to New York. Um, for those who don't know, me and Josh served and um, we're recovering youth ministers. We're still recovering too. Um, but we served together for many years here in the area. He was at Macedonia Baptist Church and then they moved to Trenton? Jessup. Jessup, Georgia. And um, yeah, uh, and then they moved to New York. But I never forget the day he called me and he, he told me about what they were going to do. And, and the first thing that hit me was, how can we help? And it wasn't, let me just make this clear. Our help wasn't just about Josh and Donna Bennett and the girls. Our help was about a church plant that was started in upstate New York, in a very, very, very dark area. And our support stays with them. This church needs our support, and it's because of what you do through your giving that helps us be so generous to them. We did not cut them at all this year, and we're not planning on cutting them because I love the people of Elizabethtown, New York. For those who've been able to be up there with me, I know Daryl got to, Daryl has a love for wasp from Elizabethtown, New York, from painting. Um, but whenever you think about New York, you always think about the city. And you're only thinking about 3% of the land mass of New York when you think about the city. The people of Elizabethtown, New York, they are just like us. They are Appalachian as can be. They are loving, kind people. They're real with you. I'll be honest with you. They're, they're extremely real. But at the same time, our heart continues to support 
and our finances continue to support Life Church as we move forward. Every Sunday over the summer, we've been doing an initiative, a prayer initiative for the week. And our prayer initiative for this week is Life Church. Because Life Church is going through a difficult transition. The pastor that they've known for many years, Josh, was called away. And I'm thankful for Josh being obedient to that calling. But at the same time, I know God already has somebody in place who will take this position and will take it further than Josh ever could. So this morning, I want us to pray as a congregation because this is not just a separate church. This is our church. This is our church plant. And like Donna said, you want to give above and beyond what you're giving now to Life Church? You can go to their website. Their donation page is up there. You can do that. If you want to help me, our prayer, our mission team is going to be meeting in two weeks. We're going to talk about trying to get some partnership in our mission effort to where we get y'all plugged into what's going on with the missions of Harmony Grove by being prayer partners and writing letters and reaching out and encouraging our mission partners because they need that encouragement. But this morning, I want us to all take a moment and to pray for our sister church because they are making a difference in this community. I got to see lives being changed. And you know what? God's not done. So pray with me. Father, this morning we are so thankful to be here as a body of believers. We are so thankful for the unity that we have in your spirit. But we're also thankful, Lord, that you've given us this opportunity to serve you, to worship you, to love you. And also, Lord, to have an impact on your kingdom. This morning, Lord, I, I selfishly want to lift up Life Church to you. When Josh called me, Lord, and told me, you know how my heart was conflicted. Not because I was doubting whether he needed to leave or not, but my heart was conflicted because I couldn't help but wonder what would happen to the people. But it was in that moment, Lord, that you reminded me of what you told Peter, that it was upon the profession of Jesus as the Messiah that you would build your church and that the gates of hell will never, never prosper against it. And Father, we're holding to that promise that you made to Peter, that you made to your church, that you are going to continue to work in, through, and with Life Church New York. Father, we pray for this, uh, the search committee, Lord, as, as they go through all the work of trying to find that person that you have put in place for them. But Father, I want to lift up this individual to you right now. Father, I know without a doubt that you've already laid it on somebody's heart to be their pastor. And I pray, Lord, that you will help them do just that. Father, help them to love the people the same way the Bennetts loved them for six years. Help them, Lord, to love the people the same way that you loved them over 2,000 years ago. Help them to love the people the same way you did when you created us in this place that you've given us to live in. But Father, I pray that you would use Life Church, Lord, as a lighthouse for that community to shine the gospel 
across that whole area, not just in, not just in Elizabethtown, but also over in Lake Placid and all the areas that surround them. Father, I'm thankful for the partnership that you've allowed us to be a part of. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you have allowed us to bless them. And it's only because you have blessed us that we're able to do that. So, Father, I pray that you would turn our hearts this week to Life Church. That it would be a daily part of our prayer life this week, Lord. And also in the weeks to come. This morning, Lord, as we get ready to dig into your word, as I always ask you, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. Father, you know the conviction that this word has already brought me this morning. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only it can do in your people this morning. Father, help us to have a healthy view of how you view things in this world. Father, once again, I just want to thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, life is nothing but a series of changes. It is change after change after change. And the more I sit back and look at it as I get older, and I'm not going to say wiser as I become more aware because wisdom's not a strong suit in mine. Jennifer, I don't need an amen. But as our life, as our culture, and as the world around us changes, it has bearings on how we view things. I want you to think about this. I don't view things the way that I viewed them when I was a child. Do any of you? No. I don't view things the way I viewed them when I was in high school. Do any of you? No. I don't view things the same way that I viewed them before marriage. Man, that's an eye-opener for Jennifer. I don't view things the same way that I did before I had kids. I don't view things the same way I did before I became the pastor of Harmony Grove. And ultimately, I don't view things the same way that I did before I come to know Christ. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been spending a lot of time in knowing God. And it is important for us to know who he is, but it is also equally important for us to know how he views things. It is a natural course of man that our views, our opinions, and the way we perceive things change as we get older. The things we read change us. The things we watch change us. The things we do change us. But we've got to understand something. It is not this way with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Matter of fact, Hebrews 13, as we went through it, we come across Hebrews 13, verse 8, where it said that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what? The way he views things is not affected by the things that cause us to change our views, especially when it comes to the topic of today. Today we're going to talk about how God views 
sin. This is extremely important for us to wrestle with in our life. Because let's just be honest, many of us view sin in many different ways, do we not? I mean, as we get older, there's some sins that we even make greater than other sins. There's some sins that we see as less than other sins. But ultimately, even our view of sin changes by the things we read, by the things we watch, by the things we do, by the culture we're in, by the world we're in, by the people we're around. All of these things have a bearing on how we view sin. And every once in a while, we've got to. We have to come back and look at things from God's perspective of how he views sin. And the way we're going to do this today is we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 2. And we're only going to hit on three verses today. Yes, y'all know me, I bounce around a lot when it comes to Scripture. But we're only going to try to look at three verses. I'm going to, you can take notes. I'm going to give you a couple other Scriptures that go along with it. But the Scripture that we're looking at today is Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. But before we do this, I want to give a definition of sin. Because before we talk about this, we must properly define it. And if any of you have ever taken any type of systematic theology classes, you probably come across this definition of sin. Sin is actions that violate the law or moral standard of God. Let me repeat that. Sin is actions that violate the law or the moral standards of God. Well, let's see how this relates in this verse. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, sin was not even mentioned in this. No, the word sin was not mentioned in this. Matter of fact, we don't even see the word mentioned in the Bible until we get over to Genesis chapter 4. But what we do see is how sin does come about. And the first thing thing that we've got to get from this scripture is God is the one who sets the standard. God is the one who sets the standard. It's not our government. It's not what we watch. It's not what we read. It's not who we listen to. It's not the people who have influence on our life who set the standard. Only God sets the standard. God is the author and creator, sustainer of all that he has created. And I know I have said this many times from this pulpit, but this is something that needs to be at the forefront of our minds every day. Is God has a way. God has a standard. God has a purpose. And God 
is the one who set the order of it. We struggle with this. We struggle with this because in a lot of this, there are some unknowns. But when it comes to God, we can really wrap our mind and hearts around the fact that he is in control, he has set a standard, and he never changes. He is never influenced by anyone or has been influenced by anyone. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14 says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who's directed him? Nobody. Or who, as his counselor, has informed him? Nobody. With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? Nobody. And who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him on the ways of understanding? Nobody. For those who don't know this, this is called a rhetorical question. It's a question that doesn't have to be answered because we know the answer to it. Nobody had to inform God or instruct him on how he did anything. Nobody had to help him in the design of the world. Nobody had to help him when it comes to setting a standard for man and for life. And we must fully understand this, that God sets the standard because God is the standard. We must fully understand that God sets the standard because God is the standard. Do we believe this? Do we believe it? Even when it comes to sin? Because this is where it starts getting messy in us. This is where it really starts getting messy in us. Because we don't like things that control us. We like to have say-so in our lives. We like to be the ones who dictate the standards in which we live. But as believers, as people of the word, we have to know that he is the one who sets the standard. When he created everything, when he created everything, he created it perfect. Every time he said, it is good, it was perfect. And at this time and point, there was no sin in the garden, on the earth. No sin. But he gives them. He gives them one simple command. He says, of any tree in the garden, you can freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall never eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. In that, God set a standard. You know, when it comes to the standards of sin, we're bad about this. I am horrible. I am absolutely horrible about this, about gauging one sin against another. You know what I'm talking about? We look at some sins as little sins or light sins or sins like a lie 
We look at that as something so simple and small, so small. We've even come up with a definition or an abbreviation to it to help us justify this and calling it a white lie. Brothers and sisters, a lie is a lie. A lie is a lie. A half-truth is a no-truth. We didn't set that standard. God is the one who set that standard. But you know, it's funny because we'll look at that and we'll think, oh, that's so small. That's so insignificant. But then we'll look at something else. Let's go cultural. We'll look at same-sex marriage and we'll say, but that's an abomination. Because in our minds, we think that is making that even more worse. That is a more severe sin because even the God's word says that is an abomination. But I want to read something to you from Proverbs chapter 6 about what God says is an abomination. And this is what God says, Proverbs chapter 6, 17 through 19. He says, haughty eyes are abomination. You know what haughty eyes are? A prideful heart. Somebody who thinks they're something when they're nothing. That is an abomination to God. A lying tongue. Oh, wait a minute. No, we categorize that one way down here. That's not an abomination to God. Not according to his word. Not only that, hands that shed innocent blood, that is an abomination. A heart that devises wicked plans, that is an abomination. Feet that run rapidly to evil, that is an abomination. False witnesses who utter lies. Notice he mentions lies twice. That is abomination. Now remember, we think it's small. According to God, it's an abomination. But also, here's another one. And every church needs to hear this one. Anyone who sows discord, anyone who tries to be a problem within the church is also an abomination to God. God's word shows us that our mindset of what we think is a little sin and what we think is a big sin is completely wrong. And I'll prove it to you in the scripture that we just read. What was God's command to Adam and Eve? Don't eat that. That was God's command. Don't eat that. Because in the moment that you eat it, you will surely die. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to try to rate a sin, if you were to try to rate a sin, and him saying them, don't eat that, wouldn't you put that a little bit less than even lying? I mean, seriously. Think about that for a minute. It's a little bit of a ridiculous command, isn't it? Don't eat that? Really? Just in eating that one fruit, whatever it is, a lot of people think it was an apple. I don't think it was an apple. I don't even know what it was. But just in eating that fruit by that one sin, sin will enter the world? Really? 
You see, the problem that we have with this is we like to gauge the sin. But what we don't do is gauge against the one who's being sinned against. I did this illustration before. Ryan, you want to be a part of my sermon? Tough, come on. Come on, come on, come here. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is Ryan. He's a good buddy of mine. Joined church, baptized him not too long ago. If I were to come up to Ryan and slap Ryan right in the face, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I might get slapped back. I would. Jay, not trying to point you out. Stand up a minute. This is my brother-in-law, Jay. Stand up. <laughs> he is a deputy for Union County. Now, if I were to go up and slap him, what's the worst that I could expect to happen, especially while he's in uniform? I'm going to go to jail. I am going to go to jail. With Ryan, probably the worst thing, I could go to jail if he press charges, but most likely he's just going to slap me back. If I were to slap Jay, even though he's my brother-in-law, there's a good chance he's going to throw me on the ground, handcuff me, and then probably slap me back after I'm handcuffed. <laughs> but if I were to go to the United States president, I know, some, I know how some of y'all feel, cautious, 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 cautious. If I were to go up to him and slap him right in the face, what do you think I could expect? I would probably get shot. Why? Because of his position. And that's why we have to have a healthy perspective of sin. I battled with this when we were going through Psalms because David said to the Lord in Psalms, he said, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. In a way to me, that was a lie because he sinned against multiple people. He sinned against Bathsheba by taking her as his bride. He sinned against Uriah, her husband, by sending him to a battle in which he knew that he would get killed. And then he sinned to the people of Israel by lying about it for many years. But David, in his Psalms, says, against you, Lord, and alone you have I sinned. Because you see, no matter how little we may think our sin is. When it is a sin against a holy, righteous God, there's only one response. And what is that response? Death. Death. See, our view of sin is on the degrees of how bad that sin is. But I want you to remember this right here. Simply eating of that fruit 
was enough to bring about sin into this whole world. And from that moment, we have seen the downward spiral of sin's effect on our life. For sin, no one died. Before sin, there were no diseases. There were no sicknesses. Before sin, there were no storms. The earth was not groaning for redemption. Before sin, everything was perfect. After sin, well, this is what you get. This is what you get. Understand this, people. God gets the blame for too many things that are not His to have the blame for. God, why is there so much evil in this world? Remember, He created it perfect. His creation is what brought on the evil. It's not his fault. It's all of our faults. But when it gets even more delicate, is when we start looking at the sins of others as greater than our own sins. Well, I'd steal a line from Paul. Because just like Paul, I feel like I am chief of the sinners. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like day in and day out, you are nothing but a chief of sinners? That you daily struggle with things maybe of lust. That you maybe daily struggle with things of addiction. Maybe some of you deal with a struggle of pornography. Maybe some of you are dealing with a, an adulterous affair in your life right now. Maybe some of you are dealing with some corruption that you've got going on. Now listen, I'm not up here to judge any single one of you. I'm not. Because one sin is the same as another. All of them deserve the same thing, which is... So regardless of the sin, we all deserve death. And that's why grace is such a huge thing. That's why grace is such a huge thing for all of us. Because we don't deserve God's grace. We deserve His punishment. And when we have a healthy perspective of this, this is what helps us to kill the sin in our life. Notice I said to kill the sin. I didn't say to bring redemption of the sin. Because you see, the more I see the severity of sin in my life, the more it becomes an abomination to me. 
Do you know what the word abomination means? It means distasteful. It's disgraceful. It's a pungent smell. It's a nasty taste. It's something that is extremely unpleasant. And I want to ask you this. Is your sin unpleasant to you? We can be real today. We don't have to sit up here or sit in your pews and act like we have all of our lives together because we don't. I struggle with sin. Jerry struggles with sin. Aaron struggles with sin. Tommy struggles with sin. Ricky Powell struggles with sin. Jeff Oliver struggles with sin. Every pastor I know struggles with sin. But for most of us, it is absolutely distasteful. Paul talked about this constant battle in Romans chapter seven, where he talked about how he wanted to do the right thing. He constantly wanted to do the right thing, but he found himself constantly getting tied up in the things that were completely wrong, things that he should not do. And brothers and sisters, if Paul dealt with it, guess what? We're gonna deal with it too. But where we've got to be really cautious is when we justify sin, no matter what it is. Woe to him who calls what is evil good. Well, Scotty, I don't call it good. Do you struggle with it? Yeah, but I don't call it good. Has it became a part of your life? Well, yeah, but I don't call it good. Do you purposely search for a time to do whatever that sin is? Yeah, but I don't call it good. Then what do you call it? Then what do we call it? And we try to justify it. We try to null it down. But the problem is, we will always come short of trying to find a good excuse when it comes to sin. The result of sin was this, you will surely die. Now, did that mean instantaneous? No. But remember, they were created perfect, perfect with no decay. And to be Sure, and to come to a point of surely dying means that you will gradually die. But the word that is used here in Hebrews means something even more horrifying to me than death. And we see it in what happens after they simply took a bite. Well, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They walked with God. They stood face to face with God. They even knew how his footsteps sounded. They were so intimate with him. Because when they hear him walking through the garden, what do they do? 
that go and hide. But when he finally deals the punishment that he's going to deal them, I want you to think about what it is. They were kicked out of perfection. God is perfection. God is the standard. And in being kicked out of perfection, they were separated from him. You know, they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. But what bothers me more than anything today is is I don't see that. I don't see that. Do you see it in your life? Because there's a lot of times I don't see it in my life. Because simply because God may feel absent in my life doesn't mean that my heart grows fonder for him all the time. And a lot of that comes down to sin. The result of sin was death. The result of sin was a downward spiral. The result of sin was separation. And the result of sin is why we are where we are today in this world. It's nobody else's fault. It's ours. And this one sin, this one sin started it all. You know, I've tried to be very careful around the boys because as much as I don't want them to, they're going to turn out to be like me. That's enough to keep you up at night. Amen. As much as I don't want them to, they're going to turn out to me. And I'm even seeing it now. Colton and some of his mannerisms. I'll listen to him get on to Dalton and I'm sitting there thinking, why are you getting on to him? Well, that's the same way I get on to him. Dang it. Or some of the things that he says, just the little things that he says. Why did you say that? Well, because I said it. Dang it. And when it says that sin entered through one man, this is exactly what it was talking about. Because sin brought on a generational curse that has affected us all. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the punishment for death is sin, or for sin is death. But I want to go back to Romans 3, 23, or 1 for a second. And this is where we're going to close out. Because in Romans 1, we see a picture that is very similar to what we're seeing today in today's culture. About how the standards that God has put in place when it comes to the standards of marriage, the standards of sexuality, the standards of life, the standards of living, are not being held to. And God, through Paul, makes a bold statement. He says that none are without excuse. And you know, as good church girls, you know the first thing that we'll do is we will look at that scripture and we will think about everybody in our life who is sinning and we'll say, they're without excuse. So what's our excuse? What's my excuse? 
But what bothers me the most is if you go on down to verse 32 in Romans chapter 1. Listen to what it says. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give a hearty approval to those who practice them. There is absolutely nothing that I can do in my life for the sin of someone else. It's not on me. It's not on me to deal with because it's not my sin. But there is someone's sin that I do need to deal with. And I need to deal with it on a daily basis. And that is my sin. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew when he said, don't be trying to pull the speck from your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. Church family, what's your log? What's your log? And I want you to listen to me on this because I am talking to believers right now. I'm not talking to lost people. I'm talking about believers who have already trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to bring remission of their sins. But what excuse do we have to continue in that sin? Well, Scotty, it's not as severe as everybody else's. Some people's sin, I mean, mine's, mine's small. To you, it's small. But to God, what's the punishment? This morning, what sin do you need to deal with? We've all got them. Let's quit trying to play like we're perfect. If we were perfect, Jesus' death on the cross had no meaning whatsoever. We're not perfect. I tell people all the time, they say, you got such a friendly church. Yes, we do. But in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, we are a church full of imperfect people trying to do our best to serve a perfect God. And you know what? We still fail. And we fail because of those little things, sin, that we justify in our life. What do you need to lay down at the foot of the cross this morning? Because this message this morning isn't a salvation message. This message is for the people of God who still continually struggle in sin. And I want you to know this. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive us. This morning, what do you need to confess? Father, like we were talking about this morning, I love digging into your word. But Father, sometimes I don't like the response that comes from digging into your word because every time I dig into your word, I see how imperfect I am. And Father, your word is like a mirror because it shows me everything that I should be. But as I'm looking in that mirror, I'm not seeing the person that I should be. But Father, I'm thankful that you are not done with me yet. I am thankful that you will finish the good work that you started in me. But I'm also thankful, Lord, that I have that Holy Spirit that resides inside of me that tells me every time I do something wrong, that ain't right. Father, I hate the fact that I will look at somebody else's sin and think it is so great, but when I look at my sin, I think of it as just a bot. Father, help us all to view sin the way you view it. Help us to shed our opinions. Help us to shed what we think is right. And help us to hold to what your word tells us is right. Father, we are imperfect people doing our best to serve a perfect God. And Father, we continually need your grace because we know that your grace is enough. Now, Father, allow your Holy Spirit to do in us, even me, what only it can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As they come up to sing and as we stand, what are you struggling with? What are you struggling with? Because this morning you have an opportunity to lay it down no matter what it is. You have an opportunity to put it at the feet of Jesus. And I pray that you take it. But this morning, if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to clarify something. Because a lot of people think that they've got to get their life right before they come to Jesus. (laughs) That's so anti-gospel, that's not even funny. The gospel tells us that once we realize our need for a Savior, that it is our faith in His death burial and resurrection that gives us the salvation and grace that we need and he is the one who forgives us of that this morning if you want to throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus Christ I'm going to be right here I actually probably going to be right here but don't hesitate come tap me on the shoulder 
And let me show you the most beautiful gift that you could ever be given. The gospel. That while you could not do anything to save yourself, Jesus is enough. For the rest of us, it's up to you. How you respond to God is up to you. Whether you want to do it at the altar, whether you want to kneel down right where you're at, why are you hanging on to that sin? Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.